eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. This weekend, college football made its glorious return and it's back with quite a bang in my opinion. So this week, uh, just a quick roundup of the two week zero games for you and then we'll return with a bit more of a fuller week, uh, a fuller pod next week. Obviously, with the, it's quite a busy weekend sort of in the NFL and uh, in college football obviously uh, with Andrew Luck and the news that broke with that over the weekend. Um you know, and the NFL season obviously is just right around the corner as well. Uh, the rest of the college team busy beavering away on articles and other projects. So this evening it's just me flying solo, and I'll deliver you this little roundup. Um, although I will try and you know, give you some insights into what the other guys on staff have been saying to me you know, on the group chat and in, in when we were watching the games on uh, Saturday evening. Uh, so I'm going to go over the Miami versus Florida game, then move over to the shootout that took place in Hawaii as the Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii hosted the uh, Arizona Wildcats, who, regular listeners will know, I've paid quite close attention to one particular player in that game in the off-season, uh, but a little bit more about that later on. Um, so yeah, first of all, I'm just going to fly over to Camping World Stadium in Orlando, Florida, and we'll take you through through that game, that first one. Um, yeah, so yeah, very first game of college uh, football season was between the Hurricanes and Miami and the Gators of the University of Florida. Uh, and my takeaway, just as I was watching this, um, this game was, well, just how tired I was, really, <laughs> because as uh, I mentioned last week on the podcast with Tom, um, I'd been at a wedding all day on Saturday, so I was a bit tired, uh, a few beers, and uh, you know, in the hot sun as well down here in Brighton as well. Very nice day was had by it all, but yeah, not the best preparation for a late night watching college football. Uh, but yeah, managed to power through, uh, of course, um, and, you know, because we've all been waiting for college football far too long, so... Yeah, no, that was good. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, uh, first takeaway from the game, real real takeaway this time. It was just so hard that all the players were playing. Yeah, Everyone was hyped up on and off the field, I would say. Hits were flying in, there was plenty of jawing going on, which obviously I, I appreciate. you got to give the D-backs some uh, appreciation when they're you know clapping and jawing and giving some of that trash talk, which I really like. So I think that was fantastic. Uh, I'm all for that. Uh, you can absolutely tell, in my opinion, that these guys have been waiting far too long to actually get out on the field and actually play, you know, actually, you know, play some real football. Uh, obviously, they were, they've gone through meetings, obviously, walkthroughs, gone through the media before the game, and uh, they wanted the talking to stop. I think they were ready to strap on the pads and lay the wood on someone, and quite a lot of people kind of epitomised that mindset, I thought, in the especially well through the first through the, through the whole game, really, but in the first half especially, <laughs> I just thought these guys came out really really hard and played really really hard football which is great to see sets the tone for the season which i'm all for again uh in fact on this note talking about getting hyped up has anyone checked on michael irvin recently because he was pretty ferocious has anyone seen a ferocious pre-game hype speech such as that for the miami faithful he was pumped that is the epitome of pumped up wow Wow, yeah, Michael Irvin was up for this game, and then obviously we had a little bit of the rock before the game, didn't we? Obviously, uh, he used to play football at the at the U um, many moons ago. Anyway, on to the game. Uh, enough about the pre-game, getting a like, bit like the players, now I just want to get into the game. And like we said last week, really, all eyes were on uh, the freshman, the redshirt freshman, sorry, QB, Jaron Williams, making his first ever career start for Miami. 
Um, as as I uh, as we mentioned uh, last week, he'd already beaten Tate, Tate Martel to the starting job. I'll obviously touch on him a little bit more later. But Jaron Williams, yeah, um, played pretty well, things considered, I think. Um, he didn't set the world alight, but um, I think he played pretty well, like I say. I think that was the fact that he maybe didn't set the world alight was down to the fact that his two tackles, who were also quite inexperienced, I think they were both freshmen, uh, they just could cope with Jonathan Greenard and uh, Jabari Zuniga off the edges um, for the Gators. And uh, yeah, I think the in the group chat, as I said, I'll bring the, bring the guys in sort of virtually in that sense. In the group chat as we were watching this and afterwards, we were kind of saying that, that Jaron Williams is here and he's, he's here to stay, I would say. Uh, I think Thomas Robry said uh, in the group chat, he just said, and Miami have found their quarterback and that's how, exactly how I feel. I thought Jaron Williams was pretty poised. Uh, I thought, you know, after doing my research, as I mentioned uh, on the last pod, after doing my research and after he won that job, I thought that he would be. You know, he talks very well. He seems quite quite intelligent. He didn't seem like the moment was too big for him. And I thought he was pretty efficient and he made some really nice plays. Um, yeah, and I thought I think everyone was uh, pretty impressed with him. And Tom said the same. Uh, he said that he's, he's uh, looks pretty good on his you know first start at college football level um, after stepping up, you know, after his redshirt year. So yeah, no, the future seems pretty bright um, for the Hurricanes. Sorry, I had nearly said the Gators then, and that would have been a really bad mistake to make. Obviously, another rival that these two teams have. But yeah, no, like I say, the 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 Hurricanes uh, QB job seems like it's on lockdown, and uh, as I've said, I pretty much only concentrate almost exclusively on uh, draft eligible players. But Jaron Williams is definitely on my map uh, for in a couple of years' time when he's uh, draft eligible, and. You know, it's all about setting up those chemistry and and just picking your way through the game. And I think he seems to have struck up a fair bit of chemistry uh, with a player I thought who really stood out offensively for the Canes. That was tight end uh, Brevin Jordan. Jordan just became like the safety blanket, I think, for Williams all night long, and uh, he brought in five catches for eighty-eight yards and a score. And I thought I was quite impressed with him. Uh, he's not. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Jordan hasn't really been on my radar this summer, and obviously, as I've been doing my summer scouting and sort of going through and watching quite a lot of tape on draft eligible players, he's not really uh, been on my radar. But he's definitely been earmarked for the future. I think he's not eligible until 2020, anyway. So, um, it, sorry, he's not eligible in 2020 for the 2020 draft. But yeah, like I say, I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on him. Definitely be interested in what Thomas Robbery's got to say about him because he's our ACC guy. You know he can't concentrate on Trevor Lawrence the whole time, so he's got to got to give some other guys a love, some love. So yeah, he'll be. Uh, I'm sure he'll be keeping tabs on him, and I'll be I'll be doing the same really. So yeah, if um, if Jordan was the pleasant surprise, just got to go, you know, into the sort of uh, into the other wide receivers and other receivers for the Miami team. I was really disappointed with Jeff Thomas. Uh, he's an experienced wide receiver. I was expecting him to kind of go toe-to-toe. He's sort of, to my mind, um, Jeff Thomas is kind of the wide receiver who I was looking to sort of lead the team and uh, be sort of the most standout player. And to me, that was Brevin Jordan. But yeah, I was expecting Thomas to go toe-to-toe with uh, Gators CB1, uh, CJ Henderson. But unfortunately, uh, yeah, Thomas only brought in one catch for 16 yards and also muffed a punt at a key, key moment in the game. Uh, which gave Florida a whole boatload of momentum. And uh, yeah, ultimately, you know, it could be the moment that Miami fans are pointing to as the tur- turning point of this game. Uh, yeah, another another turning point that could could be sort of one that, that fans point the finger at, let's say. Could be when Bubba Vax had the kicker 
missed a 27-yard chip shot. Uh, and those, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, with the game finishing as close as it did, uh, were costly, costly three points. You know, all sport, not just American football, not just college football, not just the NFL, loads of sports come down to fine margins. And I thought this was just another example of that, just one that, you know, you can digest after the game over a beer. Um, and, yeah, just sort of say that that was maybe the turning point of the game. Just a, just a final final point from on, on, for me on the Miami offense. Uh, I've left this reserved for person that we talked about quite a lot, Tate Martell, who did indeed play wide receiver, as we mentioned. You know, he we sort of were hearing murmurs last week about Tate Martell's post- potentially, you know, switching to wide receiver at the last moment. You know, which we all sort of commended and uh, thought it was a good move, and it shows his sort of. Mental, mental state really, he's, he's willing to play, he wants to get on the field and that's really great to see, no sulking, no nonsense, I mean he didn't do much either, uh, but what are we to expect from him playing his first game at position, you know, in a matter of days he's, he's just started playing, you know, after he's been told he's lost a QB job, um, or the fight for it anyway, but yeah, watch this space, as, as we said with Tom last week on the pod, um, he's an athlete, you know, and he's going to have he's gonna have some wrinkles worked in. Manny Diaz, I'm sure, will manufacture some touches for him, as he, as he tried to do with some two-quarterback looks, some uh, some jet sweeps and, and plays like that, uh, where he could just sort of try and get him in space and use athleticism. I don't think he actually um, brought in any catches at all, not that ones to my mind without looking at the stats. But, uh, yeah, they'll definitely try and work him into the offence. And, obviously, as he becomes more um, sort of comfortable becoming a wide receiver and maybe a little bit of running back as well, you know, we'll see that, and that'll be uh, sort of a bigger part of Miami's offense, perhaps. And you know, it's one that one that other teams just won't have any tape on, and and will be kind of, I guess they'll be expecting it at this point because he's he's obviously going to make that switch to wide receiver, maybe on a more permanent basis. But you know, it's something that that they don't know how they're going to use him. So yeah, one to watch, definitely. Final point on Miami, and uh, obviously he's got to be on defense because you know me, I can't go for long, I can't go long without uh, mentioning a cornerback. But yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Trajan Bandy. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that forename correctly, but yeah, Trajan Bandy, number two for Miami. I thought Bandy was a bit of a tone setter. Uh, I thought you played really hard. Just going back to the start of the podcast when I kind of talked about all the players playing really hard, Bandy was the one who really stood out, especially in run sport, which obviously some you know some corners, not mentioning any names, uh, staring at Greedy Williams here. And others, and uh, you know, some corners aren't known for their, their tackling and playing very hard. Um, so yeah, it was good to see. Good to see Bandy doing that. He's a smaller corner, who's only five foot nine, well under two hundred pounds. It's good to see him sort of putting his body on the line and, and making some big hits and stopping stopping some plays, which was which was really good to see. So yeah, another one to sort of earmark uh, for the coming year. Anyway, let's uh, let's kind of move on to Florida. I spent quite a lot of time there on Miami, and uh, I guess we'll start with QB Felipe Franks. So, yeah, Franks, I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, it's pretty difficult to get excited for Felipe Franks, I would say. Yeah, Florida won. You know, that's that's what the QB's there to do. They're there to manage the game and get the get the team the win. And he did that. And he had more yards and more TDs than Jaron Williams, and I'm not going to sort of shy away from the fact. But I don't think he played better than Jaron Williams, which, you know, it might seem a bit of a bizarre thing to say. But when you consider that the difference in uh, potential talent around him, let's say, because I do think Florida's got a more talented team than Miami, and uh, the difference in experience between the two, I think it really stands out. I think Jaron Williams was better. You know, Franks had two picks. He also lost a fumble. So, and ball, ball security is absolute paramount for me at the quarterback position. And everyone knows, obviously, everyone knows that. And it's not the best way to start the season. You know, you want you want the the, the first one of the season, the first game of the season to be the tone setter for you. 
There'll be tougher tests ahead in the SEC for Franks, goes without saying. Um, and nothing really jumped out to me on Saturday night that said he's going to be one to drag the Gators through masses of adversity and, uh, you know, sort of take the game by the scruff of the neck and, and drag them to, through it to the victory. Although, you know, it's early, it's still in the season. I said this a lot through the summer and, um, you know, I stand to be corrected if he sort of comes on leaps and bounds, takes a few steps forward. I'll be, I'll be the first one to hold my hands up and sort of congratulate him on... On doing that and and sort of becoming a, a much better quarterback because to me you know beyond college football for Felipe Franks I don't see a lot there I'm going to be perfectly honest I don't even see him as a replacement level QB at NFL level so yeah much work to do for Felipe Franks uh, didn't really impress me a great deal um, in, on Saturday night to be honest with you you know and he's got the idea build he's, he's got some talent but not enough I don't think and uh, I don't know if he's going to be there and if it's going to be there and I don't know if he's going to take that step forward but yeah that I guess is kind of weird because to be honest I don't really feel like talking about the offense too much for Florida because none of, none of them really impressed me that much I don't think uh, which is shocking for me right you know I'm obviously a defensive, defensive guy and defensive minded sort of fan of football um, but I actually think this win was powered by the defence. You know, you've got two edge rushers in, as I mentioned earlier, Jonathan Greenard, who was a graduate transfer from, I can't remember, which is really bad. I'm not going to look it up. Um, but yeah, Jonathan Greenard, graduate transfer, so obviously in his final season of college football. And Jabari Zuniga, who we mentioned earlier, who, um, yeah, we kind of had our eyes on last year as an edge rusher, a very, very speedy edge rusher. Uh, and yeah, I think that both of those guys came to the fore Greener did the game with one and a half sacks and six tackles. Ditto for Zuniga, who also had three tackles for loss to Greenhead's two. And these two edge guys, they just seem to have the beat on an inexperienced group of Miami linemen, I think, and pretty much manhandled them all night. Zuniga especially, he was beating his man off the snap at times. I think we saw that on replay during the game. I, I don't know, I think they were talking about them maybe having the, the rhythm of the snap count and, you know... <laughs> You don't really need to give Jabari Zuniga that much of a head start because, as I've said, um, he's as fast, fast as a hiccup, and that's going to be an issue for any tackle across from him if, if so. If he gets that, you know, half second worth of head start and beats the guy off the ball, and again, like Franks, you know, he'll have Zuniga. I mean, he'll have tougher tests ahead of him in the SEC, uh, but I feel like he has put a marker down. I feel like in, you know, Franks didn't. Zuniga has put a marker down. Like I said before, he was on my radar for the 2019 draft, so they didn't declare. But he's firmly back in my sights now, you know, and one and a half sacks at the year is a really, really great start. Uh, and with Green, just to mention him as well, he's really crept up on me, admittedly. You know, he's he's been in college football for a while, he's never really stood out. But yeah, when I watched him firsthand for the you know, for the most recent time, which is Saturday, he, he really, really stood out to me, which yeah. So yeah, no, good good on that as well. Um keeping an eye on those two edge rushers uh, for Florida for the rest of the season, I'm sure. Laugh a little bit on me for this game um, before switching to the Arizona-Hawaii game. I've obviously reserved this for a corner. Got to say this for the brand, obviously. Just going to go into a bit of CJ Henderson um, for number one corner. Uh, he wasn't really tested, I don't think, through the air. He did manage one pass breakup, though. Um, you know, I want to see him tackling, tackling much better next time. I want to see him tighten that up. There were some pretty soft efforts. I'm not going not gonna to hold back on this one. Like I said before, I mentioned cons before, like Greedy Williams, who saw their draft plummet, draft stock plummet, uh, you know, for perceived lack of, lack of effort and shirking tackling responsibilities last year. I don't want to see that happen to another talented guy in 2020. Um, I've currently got Henderson as my cornerback five in my rankings, and uh, you know, there's plenty of good cornerbacks. This this cornerback class is deep, so you know, when we consider the possibility of 
of other people sort of overtaking him, other players overtaking him. You know, it's a bit of a word of warning for that young man, I would say. Um, he's got to step it up. And, uh, you know, like I say, he'll have he'll have tough tests as well. Because, like I say, I, like I said before, Jeff Thomas from Miami didn't really step up. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm just going to sort of leave that there. And uh, it's not being like that because uh, Henderson kind of on the periphery of my top five. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see sort of more sort of tests, more vigorous tests for him through the air later on in the season. And, yeah, just like I say... Um, as a sort of general note, just before I move on, both these teams I think will win more than they'll lose this year. Although I don't think either have been the upper echelon of college football uh, either. You know, I don't I don't think the the Florida Gators will come close to the top of the SEC. I think there's much better teams. Um, like we said, I think we've got we've got uh, Missouri, who Tom Tom really likes. We've got obviously the Alabama, Georgia's of this world, who are always up there. And uh, yeah, obviously we know the ACC is pretty much going to be dominated by Clemson. So yeah, that's my that's my sort of takes on it. I'll just read out a couple of little tidbits from Tom. He just wanted to mention DJ Dallas as well, who he thought was the outstanding offensive player for Miami, which I'd kind of agree with. He thought he was quite fast, strong, hard running between the tackles and refused to go down, which yeah, I completely agree with. I thought DJ Dallas really stood out um, as well. So yeah, no, good one from Tom there. So yeah, let's move up. Let's move on. Game number two is quite the roller coaster, wasn't it? This one. So yeah, no, this I'm not. I mean, yeah, like I say, quite a roller coaster, lots of points, uh, lots of turnovers, which we'll come on to shortly, and um, you know, lots of yards as well, for especially for one one guy in particular. I'm just going to concentrate on the quarterbacks mostly on this one because I think the most of the storyline went through those guys, and uh, just going to start with Cole McDonald. He's obviously the victorious quarterback, the Hawaii quarterback. Had quite an up and down night really. Um, I thought he started really really well. Um, he came out, he kind of displayed his arm strength, which I think he's got an abundance of. Uh, I thought as well, I said this on Twitter to someone, I can't remember who that was, but I, I, I've obviously mentioned these kind of over-the-top loopy action before, and I kind of thought that was a little less elongated this time, which would be an interesting tidbit to sort of uh, look out for and uh, sort of see how that develops and whether it's like my eyes or, you know, obviously I need to get my eye and I've not watched college football, I've not watched Cole McDonald for quite a while, a few weeks since I watched him on tape and... I'll be honest, I didn't pay that much attention to him last year because obviously he wasn't draft eligible. Um, so yeah, no, I, I just, I don't know. I think maybe I need to have another look at that again to maybe see if that action has been changed. Because like I said, I think to be a serviceable NFL quarterback, I know I'm a Chargers fan, obviously I see a quarterback with a funky throwing motion every week in Philip Rivers. Uh, but this one's kind of, I don't think it's serviceable in the NFL. It's too long. Uh, it's kind of, yeah, needs to be shortened down quite a lot. But like I say, Moving on to the positives, moving McDonald, he started off really well. He kind of, you know, you can see that he knows this system, this very, well, it's a dated system, isn't it? The run and shoot offense. You can see that, you know, he knows that system very well. He's got a good understanding with his receivers. And uh, one receiver in particular, who's Cedric Bird, who was really impressive. I think we all we all thought that on staff. Um, everyone who's sort of spoke about this game has mentioned that Cedric Bird's four touchdowns really impressive. He also racked up over 200 yards, 224 on 16, sorry, 14 receptions with an average of 16 yards per catch, which obviously is is very very good. Um, so yeah, maybe this is what we're going to see from from Hawaii. Lots of points, and because uh, it must be difficult, you know, you got Arizona, although you know they've had months to prepare for this because they've known the, the sort of schedule for quite a while. But it must be quite difficult to prepare for this offense because you're only ever going to see it once, and it's very, it's, like I say, it's not a, it's not something you see every day, and McDonald does have quite a good grasp of it. I think, though, after that, McDonald started to sign of lose it, which I don't really know why, because Hawaii were ahead. It's not as though he was under a great deal of pressure, you know, scoreboard-wise, or even, you know, from the pass rush. But he just started to make bad decisions, bad throws. 
and there was a couple of really poor ones. Um, so yeah, no, I'd, maybe it's his first game. I think Tom said that you know he'll sort of need to get his iron as well. Um, but yeah, they could be good. Um, they could be quite good. They could pull off some scalps in the Mountain West. And um, yeah, no, I think we're all quite impressed with Cole McDonald. He just needs to cut out the, the errors and, and sort of make better decisions with the football. Um, and obviously, I, I want to move on uh, quite quickly after Hawaii just to move on to my guy, Khalil Tate. Uh, I'm going to do, actually, just before I do that, I'm just going to mention, I'm just going to do an article or two on these two quarterbacks. Um, just sort of, looking at this game and the pros and cons of their game. I think I'm looking at them from two different perspectives. I think there was a lot of good in Cole McDonald's performance. There's also a lot of bad and some ugly. So that'll give you a clue to sort of the title of the piece. And Khalil Tate, obviously someone I've been a big, big advocate for. I wanted the Arizona Wildcats to get back to their 2017 form. I wanted Khalil Tate to get back to his 2017 form where he was running all over the show. And, uh, and putting up a lot of yards in the air on the ground. And he did that. That's what he did. And uh, almost, you know, as we've seen for the last play, if anyone who hasn't seen the last play of this game, you need to watch it. I think Arizona are on the 30-yard line or so with about 10 seconds to go. Tate does try and find a pass, which which I will say, you know, I'm, I'm talking about Kilo Tate as a mobile quarterback and um, I'm sort of a big advocate of his athletic ability and how he sort of glides past defenders and can sort of destroy angles when he's got the ball in his hand. But I think Khalil Tate does look for a pass. He's not that sort of um, run-first quarterback. He is a pass-first quarterback. And uh, yeah, so that, like I say, his last play of the game, on about the 30-yard line, looks for a pass, nothing's there, man man coverage. So Tate just thinks, you know, he just takes off. He's, he's got a chance, obviously. He's probably the most athletic guy in the field and uh, comes up just a couple of yards short, taking this into overtime um, or potentially, you know, Arizona going for the two-point conversion and winning the game right, in the, right at the death. What a play, though, by, uh, I don't know the guy's name, Hawaii defensive tackle sort of sees the play break down. As soon as Tate breaks, he sort of gets on his bike. Tate obviously goes weaving through defenders, and, and this Hawaii defensive tackle kind of just takes a beeline for the, the goal line. He's actually the guy to wrap him up on the two-yard line. So, yeah, great hustle play by that guy. I'll try and find out his name for next time and sort of give him some uh, some love in that, in that sense. Uh, but, yeah, Tate, I thought he played well. Racked up uh, 200, no, sorry, 361 yards, three touchdowns, a couple of bad picks as well, but I think with Kill Tate, you're always going to get that. And, you know, fairly efficient. And, uh, yeah, racked up 108 yards on the ground, which is like what I've been saying. He That's what he was like in 2017. That's what I want to see. And like I said before, he just got gliding past players and destroying angles of defenders all day long, which, I, which I'm really, really happy to see. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think the whole staff are pretty much saying that Khalil Tate's quite a fun guy. Uh, Tom describes him as gas, which being a northern, I'm not really sure what that means. But I, I think it's, I think it's, <laughs> I think it means something good. Um, but yeah, no, I'm quite impressed. I'm quite happy. I think Arizona are going to do okay. I think their defense just quite found it quite difficult to kind of get a grip on the run shoot offense, perhaps. And uh, like you say, a bit of bit of travel fatigue, maybe because obviously Hawaii is a long, long way from mainland America. Even though Arizona obviously are a West Coast team themselves. Uh, yeah, I think everyone feels like this was a, a fun game to watch and, um, you know, especially with the, the finish that we mentioned there. So, yeah, that, that was kind of a, a nice little roundup of that. I want to shout out to JJ Taylor. He got 67 yards as well and a touchdown on 14 carries. Um, just one more carry than Kill Tate, but Kill Tate with the superior rushing numbers, both in average and uh, obviously in total yards. But I think JJ Taylor is going to be a really good asset. Only got one catch for 13 yards, but still nice, nice chunk of yardage there. 
And so, yeah, no, I think uh, I think they're going to be fun teams to watch for sure. And I've definitely got my eye on the Arizona Wildcats for the Pac-12. No, I don't think, like I said, I think I've said this a couple of weeks ago, I don't think they're going to do you know anything in terms of making noise. But I've got an eye on a few of their players, Kill Tate especially, JJ Taylor's another one. Um, so yeah, no, I've got, I've got an eye on them for sort of draft season and, and sort of how they're going to move through the season, what sort of numbers they're going to put up. Uh, and like I say, I just want to yeah, just want to sort of earmark the articles that I'll do later on this week about the two quarterbacks. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that one. And that really wraps us up. Um, obviously, we've got week zero in the books now, and we're sort of heading towards um, the the week one schedule, which obviously starts on Thursday. One of the games that I sort of had us down to circle on the calendar is Utah versus BYU. So um, yeah, I think I'm going to set the record button on my BT Sport box for that one. And uh, yeah, and then look forward to the rest of the college football schedule throughout the week. Obviously, we've got the Auburn versus Oregon game, which I'll be taking a keen interest in as well. So yeah, now I'm just going to wrap this up. Thanks for thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for sticking with me if you have done. Uh, it's about 25 minutes of just my voice now. And um, yeah, I don't think I could have gone much longer <laughs> uh, with that. And uh, yeah, no, thanks for listening. Like I say, we'll be back next week for a proper podcast. It isn't just me rambling on at you about two games, but I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, give us a follow for, at Full10YardsCFB on Twitter. And if you want to follow me, uh, at Wakefield90 is my handle. And I just want to signpost a couple of other things. Apart from the, the article that I just meant, the article, sorry, that I just mentioned. Um, I put out a little video piece uh, on sort of more for the NFL, I guess. I know my domain is now college football, but I definitely want to keep my finger in the pie of the NFL over here at the full 10 yards. And I put out a little video piece on Lamar Jackson, actually. I know it's been quite a bit of a source of debate recently. Um, and I've just put, put together like a little video article on the evolution of the Baltimore offense um, under Lamar Jackson and the, the sort of the evolution that I feel that I'll need to make to be successful in the 2019 season obviously we saw Lamar Jackson kind of get figured out a little bit by the Chargers in the wildcard round and obviously the Baltimore Ravens won't want that to happen again and they'll want Lamar to be successful because obviously they drafted him in the first round a couple of years ago uh, a couple of drafts ago at least and uh, yeah it's kind of what I reckon they'll, they should be doing to make themselves successful and uh, yeah so you should go over to the Fulton Yard to check that out um, and it's also on YouTube as well that's why I posted the video originally so yeah Check that one out. Let me know what you think as well. So, yeah, I'm just going to sign off. Um, So, yeah, thanks for listening again. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you on the other side. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website, full10yards.com, or follow us on Twitter at full10yardscfb. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.